Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. How you doing? Y'all cold? It's not even that cold outside, is it? Watching online, you're probably sitting by some fire, drinking hot cocoa. We just want to know that we're not judging you. Not much, because it wouldn't be right. Last week, we started a series we're calling God of Always. And I think it's an important series, and I mentioned this last week. It's an important series because we have a culture right now that's not always anything very much, is it? So inconsistent. I think it's important that we, that we know that we have a God who, who never changes, who never goes through a slump, who, who never wakes up one day and thinks, ah, oh, I haven't been paying attention the last few days. I think I will today. But we serve a God who is always, always faithful. He's always listening. He always cares. He's always present. He's always with us. He's always for us. And he is the consistent thing in our lives when all else seems inconsistent. So last week we talked about the fact that God is always with us, and today I want to I talk about the fact that uh, God always, always hears us, that he always, always, always hears us. I want to set it up like this. There was a young couple who came home and told the, the mother of the bride that they were engaged. She had always kind of dreamed of her daughter getting getting engaged, getting married, and so she flips out. She goes total nuts on the whole thing. Since she was paying, the, the, the kids decided, hey, let's, let's let her have her day, and she wanted to make it the event of the year. And so she immediately begins to, begins to plan the wedding that was going to take place. She starts calling caterers. She starts calling venues, trying to find a place to have the perfect wedding, the event of the year. She finally secures the location, secures the caterer, talks to the minister, gets everything sorted out, hires an 18-piece orchestra, and begins to invite family and friends from literally all over the world. People that she barely knew, but she wanted them at this event. As a matter of fact, she even took the ring back that the groom had, or the, the, the man had given the woman because it wasn't big enough and exchanged it for a bigger ring. She, she met with the caterers. She met with the venue monthly for the months that it took to plan the wedding. So the wedding day finally comes, and you can imagine things are a little tense, a little high key, a little high strung. And the wedding party, of course, gets there really early on wedding day. And then finally the moment that at least the mother of the bride had been waiting for, it's time for her to go take her seat at the front of the church. And then the moment that everybody else had been waiting for, the back doors open and the 18-piece orchestra strikes up, here comes the bride. The bride is looking beautiful in her wedding dress, and it's white, and as she enters the venue, everyone in the crowd that day noticed that it wasn't only the dress that was white, but she was very white as well, looking very pale, and so she kind of makes her way to the front of the church, and then everybody else in there figures out why she was looking pale. You see, she had been there for a long time. She had gotten really hungry. She was nervous, so she had snacked on some of the food that would later be at the reception. She had had some nuts. She had had some sausage. She had had a few shrimp. 
And then she proceeds to throw up said sausage, said nuts, and said shrimp all over the minister, all over the front of the wedding venue, and then she proceeds to pass out. Well, when she passes out, of course, the mother of the bride does what? She passes out and pandemonium ensues. The event of the year had become a total wash. Eventually, they get everything settled down. Everyone kind of comes to and they exchange vows with the few people that are left after all that happened in the reception area of the venue. That was what they came there to do in the first place, wasn't it? I think when it comes to prayer, a lot of us try to complicate what should be simple. And I'm not just talking about people that don't know anything about prayer. Like some of you, maybe, maybe you just barely, barely pray. Maybe it's something you're not even sure does anything. Maybe you're not even sure who you're talking to. But I'm talking about even those of us who have been in church a while, who have heard teachings on prayer, who have read passages on prayer, who, who, have, who have tried to be praying people. I think for so many of us, we complicate the simple. We try to make it some, one of those official things that we do, right? Like, like getting married or going to the courthouse, Right? One of those official things like getting our driver's license. And so we think we have to block out an hour to sit down in the complete quiet and pray, right? You have to read your Bible for 30 minutes. You have to pray for 30 minutes. And not only do you have to talk for 30 minutes, but you also have to say big words like thee and thou. You know what I'm talking about? And so because we have misunderstood it, we have complicated the process. And I think for a lot of us this morning, if we were honest with ourselves, one of the biggest reasons why we don't pray it's because we don't have time or maybe we're even confused as to how to even do it. Or maybe you're like me and you sit down to pray and you start thinking and you end up washing dishes. Anybody? Fifteen minutes later you're washing dishes or you're asleep. I think a lot of us have questions when it comes to prayer. And one of the reasons why some of us don't pray is because we have questions like, well, if God knows everything, why, why do I need to pray? If God really knows what the future holds, then why do I even need to talk to him? Or for some of you, you think if God is really that holy and that special, why in the world would he want to hear from me? As a matter of fact, if, he, if, if I try to talk to him, he's probably going to zap me right then and there after all what I've done, right? And then there's, there's some of you that think, well, if, if God knows my mind, why do, why do I need to talk to him? And so what's happened is, not just people that are in the church, but even kind of this perception of prayer has changed based off of some lies and some misunderstandings that you, that you have. Today, I want to talk about communicating with God, and this is what I'm going to title it today, Anytime, Anywhere, Anything. Say that with me. Anytime, Anywhere, Anything. If you're watching online, type that right in the chat. Anytime, Anywhere, anything. And what I'm going to talk about today, it's probably good that we only have one service because it could take a while, and I'm just kidding. I won't take that much time. But I really think we could come back and do it a complete and whole series on what I'm going to talk through today. Um, I think there's a lot of people right now, and I think this is timely for you because I think there's a lot of people right now and you feel alone. You feel alone because maybe you live alone and maybe you were feeling lonely before last March, and then everybody told you to stay put. Don't don't congregate with people. You kind of thought that was a hoax, but you kind of thought it was okay. You kind of thought it was true, and then you saw somebody else that got sick and somebody else that got sick, and so you didn't know what to do, so you have completely cut off yourself from the rest of the world. I think there's some people in here, and you were, you were feeling lonely before that, and you've kind of ostracized yourself because you've broken some relationships. I think there's a lot of people right now 
who feel, who feel lonely. And I think today is going gonna, is gonna to really help you because I want you to know this morning, and maybe, maybe this is one of the reasons why God brought you into this place, is because I want you to know that you do not have to be alone because you have a God who is always listening. He is always there for you, and he is always, always tuned in to the desires of your heart. Always. You are never alone as long as you have him, and you will, he will never leave you. You're not alone. So let's look at Philippians 4. And before we do that, I want to I set it up a little bit. Philippians is a, is a book. It's a letter, actually, written by a guy named Paul. Paul um, started different churches. He wrote the most books of the New Testament. And he went around. He started planning churches, starting churches. And he would write, after he left a city and started a church, he would write back to the people of that church. So Philippians is a letter written to the people at a church called Philippi. Paul is writing this letter called Philippians, and what he's doing is he's trying to encourage the people of Philippi. Basically what he's saying is he's saying it's not about your circumstances, but it's about something deeper. As a matter of fact, when Paul writes this letter, he's actually writing it from a prison. So he's sitting in a prison, and he's trying to tell some people in Philippi, hey, listen, I have sacrificed, but it is my joy to sacrifice. And he's trying to help them find joy even in the midst of the downtimes of life. That's the purpose of him, of him writing this letter. Actually, last year I used the same passage to talk about joy, and today I want to talk about prayer, and I think it's really interesting, and you're going to see as we go how the two are, are closely linked. So let's start reading it in verse 4, Philippians 4, and this is what it says. You're going to know this if you've been in church a while. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. When it comes to prayer, praise is the perfect beginning to prayer. Paul, who is writing once again from a prison, he says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Now, why would Paul, who's sitting, writing this as he is sitting in a jail cell, why would he say rejoice in the Lord? Because it doesn't seem like Paul has a lot to rejoice about right now, right? It's cold, it's dark, he's, on, he's towards the end of his life at this point, and he is still writing, he's saying rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't make sense, but here's what Paul understood. I'm able to rejoice in the Lord, not because of my circumstances, but in spite of my circumstances. And maybe there's some people this morning, in your circumstances, if you were honest, and if we were honest with you, yes, they are terrible. You are, it, it is horrible. Everybody has abandoned you. Things are not looking good. But I want you to know this morning that if you can dig down deep enough, you can find a reason to rejoice in spite of your circumstances. And if your joy is only based on the situation around you, it will always come and go at the drop of a hat. Paul is saying, I have, I have joy not because of what's around me, but because of, of who is in me. Paul says, I have a joy that, that, that comes from somewhere, from somewhere deeper. And he says, I, I, I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in who he is, even when you don't like your spot in life. Rejoice. Easier said than done, though, right? Paul knew that his circumstances couldn't take away his reason for joy. And so when we begin our prayers with praise, we begin by rejoicing in who God is. And, and, and there's, there's something important and there's something, there's something powerful when we begin our prayer with, with rejoicing because it kind of corrects some of those misconceptions we have about our circumstances and about God. It, it kind of 
it kind of begins to, to change our attitude in that moment. When we start with praise and praising God for who he is, not for what he's done, but for who he is, when we start our prayers like that, it kind of begins to change our mindset and our frame of reference for everything we're going to be able to pray to pray after that. As we rejoice, we begin to see that God is big, that he is bigger than even though I can only see my present circumstances and I can only see that one thing that is glaring me in the face, even though I can only see that, we begin to see he's bigger than that. We begin to see that he's powerful. We begin to see that he's loving, that he's gracious, that he's accessible, that he wants to move on our behalf. Do you see what, as, as you begin to, to rejoice or as you begin to praise, as you begin to say, Christ, be magnified in me, as you begin to do that, it changes your, your perspective of who God is. And it's going to change the things you pray about. It's going to change the things that are on top of your mind. Your perspective of God really determines the contents of your prayer. You ever thought about that? Your perspective of God ultimately determines what you pray about. For instance, if, if you're in here this morning and, and you kind of really don't believe God is even there, your prayer life is probably minuscule, isn't it? If, if, if you're in here this morning, maybe you've been scarred by the past, Maybe you had some people that were supposed to love you, let you down, or maybe it was your father, and so when you hear Heavenly Father, it brings up this picture in your head. And so you're not even completely sure that God is good. When you pray, I bet your prayers are small and timid. For the people in the room this morning who believe that God is big, and you really believe that, and you really believe that he can do anything, I bet your prayers are big. Because your perspective of God determines the content of your prayers. And I, I want you to know, just a side note this morning, I want you to know that God is big enough to handle your biggest prayers. He is big enough for you to ask him to do something that anybody else would say is ridiculous for you to ask. He is big enough for that. The God that I serve and the God that we worship in this place this morning is big enough to handle anything you throw at him. So Think big because the God that you're talking to when you pray is, is, is big and he's worth big requests and it's okay. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, let your gentleness, let your gentleness be evident. Now that word gentle there, it's not the, the mamsy pamsy kind of gentle. It's not rolling over when somebody kicks you and letting them kick you again. That, that word gentleness, what Paul is talking about there is he's saying rejoice in the Lord always. And then he's saying trust, it, that gentleness is a, is a gentleness that would trust God with vengeance as if the vengeance is mine, says, says, says the Lord. He, would, he wouldn't feel like he had to get back at people. That gentleness means, God, I trust you to handle this situation. So Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord and let your ability to trust him be evident to all. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord and then back up and let him handle everything. Because as I begin to rejoice, as I begin to praise, it changes what I pray about. It changes how I see my current circumstance because I see God as bigger. So it starts with praise and then verse 6. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So praise is the perfect beginning, and then prayer is about presentation. And I don't, I don't mean that like, 
food presentation, like everything has to be perfect. I just mean it, it, it's about you communicating with him. Prayer is about presentation. Prayer is, is about being present with God, about being in the moment and about being present with God. You see, the ultimate purpose of prayer for you and I is not to try to talk God into doing something, but it's because God wants to be with you that bad. He wants to hang out with you that much. And so prayer is about being present in the moment with God. How many of you, and you don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you would say you're an anxious person? Just think about it in your head. Or raise your hand. Y'all be honest. Let's see. All right, how many of you would say, if you're online, you can put a hand, wave, uh, hand raise emoji would say you're an, anxious, you're an anxious person. We get anxious for all kind of stuff, don't we? How many of you get anxious over stupid stuff? Just be honest. We get anxious about all, all, all kind of stuff. You, you, some of you right now, you're anxious about the future and the past all, all at once, right? Some of you, you're anxious about what someone said and what they didn't say all at once, aren't you? We get, we get anxious about what you can control because you're, you're worried that you won't control it correctly, and you're also anxious about what you can't control because you can't control it, Right? You were, we, people, people right now, anxiety levels, have, I don't think, have ever been higher. For some of you, you you're, you're, you're anxious because you're worried about what didn't happen and you're worried about what could happen, right? And so we live with this, with this, level, this, this level of anxiety, but yet Paul is saying to the Philippians, and what he's telling us today, it still counts today as Paul is saying, be anxious about nothing. Now, it seems like an impossibility, but if Paul and God ultimately were going to ask us to do something, but it was impossible, would that be fair? And so that's telling me that, that this, has to be, this has to be possible. Remember, Paul is writing this with plenty of reasons to be anxious because he's sitting in a prison cell. His life is at stake, and so he's writing this with plenty of reason to be anxious, but yet he says, be anxious about, about nothing. I have a certain way that I get to the church every single morning. Do y'all get to work the same way all the time? Or maybe you have, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a family member's house. Maybe it's a store. But you go the same way every single time. Do, do you know what, some, what happens sometimes when I'm on my, on my way to work? I'll be thinking about something. I'll be doing something. I'll be listening to something. You know, singing in the car because if, if I'm the only one in there and God hears me, he thinks I'm good and I think I'm good so I can sing as loud as I want to. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The other day I was um, singing Graves in the Gardens. Y'all know that. And there's nothing better than you. And then I turned it down because I just wanted to sing that part. And I was like, I sound awesome. What are they thinking not letting me on that stage to sing? I won't do it again. But anyway, sometimes I'll get, I'll get into something, and I'll, I'll finally, I'll get to the church, and I'll have this thought. Wait, did I run through those red lights? Wait, I don't, I don't, I don't remember passing Starbucks, and normally I notice because the drive through is out in the road, and it drives me nuts. Or I don't remember going past that house. Do y'all ever do that? Why do we do that? Because we have a default path, don't we? And so what can happen is we've taken that path so long to wherever that is we're going that we don't even have to think about it anymore. We get in the car and we go. It's become 
our default in your mind, that's just become the default way. You don't have to think through it anymore. For some of us in the room this morning, anxiety has become the default path that your mind takes. Because every time that thing comes up, your mind immediately takes a right out of the driveway and heads right down Anxiety Boulevard, right? And so now it, it just takes something really, really small. And before you know it, without thinking about it, you have gone from supper may be a little late to she despises very, my very being, right? Because, because your mind is so programmed, because your, your mind is, is so programmed to go that path, when something comes in your mind, you immediately go down that, down that road. It's become, it's become your, 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 your default, and it's become second nature to you. And so now you don't even think about it. All they have to do is walk in the room, and it's that person, and you immediately get that anxious thought because that's what you've always done because that's become your default path. Every time that experience comes up, every time you hear that voice, every time you get that idea, every time that bill comes, every time you drive by that place, your mind is so, so used to going down that path, down those roads that immediately you go. And so what begins with a small thing, it begins with somebody missing your text messages and not responding because you've been down that road so many times, it's become they missed your text message, but you think they despise you. Because it's become your default. Paul says that prayer is a tool against anxiety. He says if, 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 if you'll make prayer your first turn out of the driveway when that thing pops up. He says if you'll make prayer that that, that little check, that little roadblock sign, and when you start to go down that road, if you'll make prayer, that little, ah, I don't know what that sound was. Was that a stop sign? I don't know what that was. But if you'll make prayer, that little roadblock sign that says, no, you've got to detour. You've got to go another way. You've got to reprogram your brain. If you'll, make, if you'll use prayer as that little boop, that little stop sign, Paul says, you can become anxious for nothing. I think some of the reasons why we let our minds go down that trail and some of the reasons we let our minds go to places that it sometimes goes is because we don't think it's really worth praying about or we feel a little silly for worrying about it. If it's causing you pain, it's time to pray. If it makes your stomach turn a little, it's time to, it's time to pray. If it paralyzes you with fear, it's time to pray. If it gives just a little nugget of fear inside of you, it's time to pray. If it gets your heart racing just a little bit, it's time to pray. If it makes you panicked, it's time to pray. Anything, anytime, anywhere, it's time to pray. It's time to throw up the roadblock sign and say, anxiety, you can only come this far. I'm rerouting you in my mind. I'm tired of this. Something has to stop it. And prayer is the very tool that can recalibrate and recalculate your route away from anxiety. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about anxiety on, on a, and depression on a clinical level. I can't speak to that. That is real. You need to get help for that. You need to get medicine for that, whatever it takes. You need to get help for that. But I'm talking about the, the, the anxious things that we just think about throughout the day that aren't clinical. They've just become 
the driving force in our lives. Paul says prayer is the very thing that can re- recalibrate you. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of times our anxiety is a direct result of our failure to pray. Big or small, seemingly heavy or seemingly light, light-hearted even, pray. Paul writes that everything is the proper subject of prayer. Everything. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. Somebody write that down. It took me a long, way to, long time to think of that. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. You can pray about anything. He says, don't worry about anything, but by prayer and petition. Now, he breaks those two up, and at first, that seems like it's, it's repetition, right? Prayer and petition, because that's the way I would think of it. Sometimes the Bible repeats itself so that we'll pay closer attention, but he's not really repeating himself. What he's saying is he's saying prayer would be kind of a general term. It would be the praise part. It would be the get excited part. It would be the worship part. It would be the the part where where you thank God for all he's done. And then he says by prayer and petition. Petition is actually the asking part. It's the part we usually get right too, right? God help me. God get me out. God do something. God heal me. God change them. God change me, God do something. That's the part we normally get to. He says prayer and petition. How many of you, and once again, you don't have to raise your hands, have ever prayed and actually seen God do what you prayed for? And you see, there's, there's people in the room this morning, there's people watching online, and you're thinking, I've never had that happen. You're thinking, does that happen? Our answer is, is yes. So does God really, does God really respond when I pray? Does he really do something with what I'm telling him? The answer to that question is yes. Look at Matthew 7, starting in verse 9. This is Jesus talking. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? That'd be rude, wouldn't it? Some of y'all have tried to make your son bread, and it was the texture of a stone, right? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil compared to God, I know you're not evil, but compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Here's what I want you to know this morning. God moves when you ask. God's ultimate desire for you, whether you know Jesus or you don't, God's ultimate desire for you is to have you in a relationship with him. Relationships are built on conversation. And the reason why God wants you communicating with him and talking with him is not because he is selfish. It's because he knows that's what's best for you. And so it would almost be unholy of him to not want to be in conversation with you. Because if he's perfect and he loves you, He has to want what's best for you. And what's best for you is for you to be sitting by your father, for you to be reclined on your father that loves you so much. That's what prayer is all about. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you're you're an earthly father. You're an earthly mother. When your kids ask you for stuff, if you can give it to them, what do you do? 
You give it to him, and he's saying, I am so much better than you. I'm so much better than you. What do you think? If you ask me for something, and you have taken the time to talk to me, and you've taken the time to snuggle up with me, and you've taken the time to ask me, what do, you, do you think I'm going to give it to you? If at all possible, he says, yes, child, I am. Your prayers, my prayers move the heart of God. One commentator I read said this, that God already knows our requests before we pray them. Yet he will often wait for our participation through prayer before granting that which we request. Let me read that again. God already knows our requests before we pray them. So there's your answer to that question. Yeah, we'll often wait for our participation through prayer before granting that which we request. Why? Because he wants us to get up next to him. And if he just continuously gives you everything he has for you, you'll never come to him. You'll never never run to him. But what you ask God for doesn't cost God anything. God is not up, up, up in heaven waiting to, to, to save up enough money to give you the car you've been asking for, right? Which, by the way, when you pray, motive does matter because he looks at your heart. And if you're going to just ask for big stuff like that selfishly, you're not going to get it because I wouldn't give that to my child. But he's not just, he's not saving up enough money to give you something next. It doesn't cost him anything. He's just waiting on you to come to him. Uh, mothers, mothers of little of little girls who are who who come to their their mom one day and they say, "Mom, can can I have a a tie to tie my hair up?" What are you going to do? You've lost most of them, right? But you're going to go find one and you're going to give them to them. Why? Because that hair tie cost you nothing, and they took the time to ask for it, didn't they? Because they came up to you and they said, "Mom." Can I, can I have a hair tie? So you're going to give it to him because it didn't cost you anything. The things that God has for you cost him nothing because he has everything. But he wants you. You are the only thing that he can't have just because, just because he's God. Because that's not, the way he, that's not the way he is. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force you to come to him. Because that wouldn't be relationship. That wouldn't be love. That would just be robotic. prayer works for the average person. If you look at the course of, of Scripture, and most of you can ask some people around you, does God do anything with the prayers you pray? And you would find out, yes. It's not dead communication. He actually moves because we request it. So what happens as we pray? Verse 7 says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer paves the way to peace. Prayer paves the way to, priest, to, to peace, not to your priest. We're not that kind of church. Prayer paves the way to, to peace. Prayer is as much about God putting something in me as me getting something from him. Paul says, start with praise. Present your request. Find peace. Because as I, as I pray, God begins to deposit some things inside of me. Because that's the rela- way a relationship works. How many of you have that person who just spending a little bit of time with them makes you feel better? Do y'all have that person? Like you can go to lunch with them or you can talk to them on the phone. 
or you can just be around them for a little bit and you immediately feel better. If it's, how many of you, for you, that's your spouse? Don't raise, don't, don't, don't raise your hands because now the people that didn't raise their hands. But we all have those people that just make us feel better being around them, right? How much better is God than those people? And so as we're, as we're in communication with him, as we're, as we're talking to him, it's not only us, us sharing how we feel. It's not only us being, able, being willing to pray about anything and everything. It's also him depositing something inside of us. And because his character is full of so much peace, he begins to, de- to, to deposit that peace inside of us. Some of you, you don't have peace because you, you never pray. And you never pray because your mind always routes to unrest and anxiety because you never put up the roadblocks. Prayer paves the way to peace. And I want you to hear this morning that when you pray, God always answers you. You're thinking right now, aren't you? Is that true? Yes. It's true, but most of us, when we think about does God answer our prayers, we answer that question with, did God do what I wanted? Don't you? Did God do exactly what I wanted? He doesn't always do that. Sometimes his answer is a little less obvious. Sometimes he doesn't stop the pain. Sometimes he doesn't heal the sick. Sometimes he doesn't pay the bill. Sometimes he doesn't change them. Sometimes he doesn't restore the marriage. Sometimes the child does go astray. But God always answers prayer. In spite of what the great theologian Garth Brooks would say, God always answers prayer. But he is such a good father. He is such a good father that he is willing to allow you to be unhappy at times. My little six-year-old came up to me the other day. No joke. I had a, I've, I, I love pocket knives, and I ordered a new knife. And he came up to me one day. He said, Daddy, will you order me a knife? If y'all know Riley, you know he never sits still. Do you think I would have been a good father by giving my child what I asked for in that moment? Right now, Riley Pearson would be dead. But because I'm a good father, my child got up next to me, asked me a question, and I responded in a way as to protect him while also listening and loving him. So when God doesn't do what you want, when God doesn't respond exactly like you want, maybe it's because he's too good. He's too good to you to do everything you want him to do. And and on top of that, oftentimes, you know how last week I brought the rope out and I talked about how Eternity was the rope, and it went on and on and on, and that little red part at the end was what we know of eternity. So often our prayers are prayed at that little red tape, aren't they? 
And so when we're praying and we're asking God to do something, God, heal them. God, heal them. Get them out of the hospital. Heal them. Bring them home. I need them. Selfishly, we are asking God to heal them. But what God is doing is he is looking into eternity, and he is saying, I am healing them in the best way possible. But we are so fixated on the here and now that we forget about the there and then. Your father is good. And some of his greatest gifts are not unanswered prayers because he never lets a prayer go unanswered. Do you know why? Because he loves you too much to ignore you. Anytime, anything, anywhere. Anytime, anything, anywhere. He wants to, he wants to talk with, with you. So Paul concludes this section by talking about how prayer changes our minds. He says in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, all those things are good things, right? They're better than most of the things rattling around in your mind most of the time. Amen? <laughs> if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So as we present our request before God, as we spend time with him, he always moves on our behalf, but he also always moves inside of us. And so what happens as we pray, as we put up those roadblocks, he begins to, to recalculate our minds. So instead of, instead of thinking about things that aren't true, he says you begin to think about things that are, that are true. Instead of thinking about what's wrong, you begin to think about what's right. Instead of thinking about what's, 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 what's dirty, you begin to think about what's pure. Instead of thinking about things and, and like fear and what's, what could happen and what could be, you begin to think about what's lovely and, and admirable. As you present your request to God, God instills something inside of you because that's what you do in relationships. Paul says, think about these things. In other words, allow prayer to be the thing that resets your default that recalculates you to take a left when you always took a right, that recalculates you to, 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 to praise God because he listened to you rather than, than turning a blind eye to him because he didn't do exactly what you wanted to. He's saying, let prayer, let praise be the thing that recalculates your, your mind and paves new, new roads. So let's, let's get practical. I want to get really, really practical. How can we take the pressure off of prayer? How can we recalculate our, our prayer lives? If, if all of this sounds good and maybe you have a little bit better understanding of prayer, how can you begin, to, begin to, to, to practice it? I have five things I want you to know, and you can write these down. Number one, create a prayer trigger. trigger. Create a prayer trigger. If you know anything about addiction, anxiety, you know what a trigger is. It's something that stimulates a response from you. And so just like we can have negative triggers where that thing, going to that place, makes us want to, to drink again or whatever it might be, we can also have positive triggers. Create a prayer trigger. And I don't want to get graphic, but one of the prayer triggers for me is anytime I go to the bathroom. I know, sounds weird. Some of y'all right now are thinking, I can't believe you talk to God when you're in the bathroom. Well, he sees me, right? And so what can, what can be that place? What can be that action? What can be that thing? What, what can be that thing 
that triggers you, okay, it's time to pray because some of you never think about praying is the reason you don't pray. Let's get real. And so because you never think about it, you never do it. What can be the trigger in your life? Is it setting an alarm on your phone for four times a day where it may feel a little, a little like school and a little scholarly, but for a while you need to do that so that it can trigger you to pray? Maybe it's, maybe it's a certain drive. And every time you get in the car, it triggers you to pray. Something triggers inside of you. What's going to be your prayer trigger? Something that reminds you throughout the day that it's time to, it's time to pray. Number two is just start. Quit trying to think of the right thing to say. Quit trying to think about how so-and-so would pray it. Quit trying to think that the more of these and thous you can get in there, the more chance there is that God will answer it. It's not true. Be you. You know what? Sometimes I tell God corny jokes. He gives me a pity laugh too. And, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm serious. At, at times I will be praying and something like that will go through my mind and, I, and I'll, just kind of, I'll just kind of pray it. And do you know why? Because that's who I am. He doesn't want a fake version of you. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you thought about doing this morning. Some of you didn't do anything last night because you felt like you were going to be snowed in. I don't care what you did last night at home. I don't care what you did this morning. I don't care who you are. He wants the real you because a good relationship is based on being real and honest. Be real. If you're tired of your situation, tell him you're sick and tired of it. If you're mad at him, tell him you're mad at him. He can handle it. Be real. He knows. Be real. Number three. Keep a list. No, that was number four. Wait, I did create a prayer trigger. Just start. I did be real. Keep a list. I'm glad they're right behind me. So y'all, y'all at least, if, if, if I completely go off track the rest of the time, y'all got it back. Just write those down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Keep, keep, keep a list. Like I have a list right here that I can't keep up with. Keep a list, okay? Because you need a list of things to, to pray about because you're not going to be able to remember everybody as you, as you pray. So keep a list. If there, there can be personal things. There can be things for your family. I normally, I normally kind of build circles out. So I'll start with me, go to family, friends, church. You know what I'm saying? And so keep a, keep a list. I couldn't remember to pray for anything if I didn't have a list. Keep a list. That could be in your phone. That can be an old-fashioned list with pen and paper, but keep a, keep a list. And then the last thing is feel your way through it. Because what happens is it, as you pay attention and you're praying, God is going to begin to kind of give you some inclinations. You're just going to kind of feel something. Maybe it's a thought that just feels a little different. Maybe it's, it's a heart knowledge. Sometimes God will teach you something in that moment, but feel your way through it. Don't just power through it, trying to get through it, but feel your way through it. Take your time, like a conversation. Take your time as you, as you talk through it. Feel your way through it so that he can deposit good things inside of you too. It's a two-way street. And because God loves you so much, he has things that he wants to say to you. But we have to be willing 
to listen. With every head bowed and every eye closed. There are people in the room this morning and I really do believe that the thing that you're missing this morning isn't, isn't anything that can be found in a, in a sermon or on a shelf or anything like that. But the thing that you're missing this morning is, is, is peace with God. Peace with God. Because for, for so long you've always felt this unrest, like you were against God and that God was against you. And the, and the reason why you feel that is because you've never accepted Christ. You've never, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so when you sit down to pray, it feels disconnected. It feels disjointed. This morning, God brought you into this place. He got you to click on this thing online. And the reason he did that is because he had a divine appointment with you. And you needed to hear that he loves you. You needed to hear that he is for you. And you needed to hear that because of Jesus, you can have a relationship with him. And so if you need that this morning, and you just kind of have that feeling, today is your day. Just pray this prayer in your heart. You can say, God, I'm, a, I'm not at rest. I'm, I mess up. I make mistakes. And I don't have anything I can do about it. I don't have purpose, I don't have peace. I have moments of, of happiness, sure, but I don't have peace and joy. I don't have that kind of joy that is able to rejoice in spite of bad circumstances. But Jesus, I know that you can give that to me. So I ask you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for living a perfect life, for dying on a cross. And for raising from the dead so that I could have direct access to God. I ask you into my life. You're my Lord. I don't, I don't know what it means. I don't know what all of it entails, but I'm going to find out. Thank you for saving me. God, this morning, I thank you that you are a personable God. I thank you that you don't just want a transaction from us. But you want a relationship with us. And so God, I, I pray right now that everybody under the sound of my voice, that we would be more persistent in our prayer, that we would be more persistent and more consistent. God, when it feels like we're talking to the ceiling, God, I pray that you would make yourself very real to us. God, for those of us that have never really tried prayer, God, I pray that it would just come natural. God, thank you for how you interact with us. Thank you that you do move when we ask. Thank you that you do care when we're hurting. God, thank you that you're available anytime, anywhere, and for anything. In Jesus' name, amen.